morning, church. How y'all doing? I thought you needed a, a, a more refined accent. This is how the Queen wishes she could speak English. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still like one of the colonies down there in Australia, but um, you all threw the tea out in Boston and said, see you later. But this is how the Queen would want to speak English. That's all I want to say. I, I love being here. In the first service, I was a guest, so now I'm part of the family. And so... Um, that is awesome. My husband was here in the first service. My eldest daughter is here in this service. She goes to Pepperdine. Um, and you, you, it's like awesome. So it's obviously a school you all love here. But my, my husband would be here, but he's um, now going to pack and to go to South Africa uh, later on this afternoon because he's uh, riding the Cape Epic. I don't know if there's any mountain bike riders here, but um, it's kind of 800 Ks, eight days and 70,000 feet of elevation. So it's like legit. I hope I still have a husband a week from now. But uh, And he's like 55. So I guess it's like midlife crisis, get on a mountain bike and go. I'm like better that than anything else. I'm like, you do you. And so, um, and he loved it. So he was here for the first service and just, we are in awe of what the Lord's doing. I don't know if you all know, but this is like not normal. Um, it's, it really is not. I, I have the privilege of uh, speaking around the world, but to think that the Lord's doing this right in this part um, of America brings me great, great joy. And um, it, is, it is really, really awesome. And I, I will show you a photo so you can see um, what Nick looks like. And so that is my family. He's, there's a lot less of him now. It's amazing what seven hours a day on a bike will do for a human. But it's like, whoa, where did you go? But anyway, um, and so uh, we've been married for 26 years next week. So that's pretty awesome. And um, then Catherine, who is here, who's probably saying, Mum, get that photo off the wall. There's no doubt about that. And Sophia Joyce. Catherine is uh, 20 and Sophia is 16. I said to the first service, I have to tell you all, um, my Nick is number 14 of 15 children. <laughs> I know, like, that doesn't happen in Santa Monica. But anyway, so he's got um, his, his mother had literally 15 full-term pregnancies in 17 years. Every chick just fall, just crossed her leg. Every chick in this room is just like, that's not happening. Um, and anyway, this is the point of why I'm telling you this, because I would take, my, my mother-in-law, she did not think you were a woman until you popped out like 10. And um, so I would take Catherine and Sophia when they were babies to my mother-in-law's house. Uh, literally, I would go, this is Catherine Bobby. She is my alpha. And this is Sophia Joyce. And she is the omega. And this is the beginning and the end <laughs> of my childbearing years. I'm like, you know, she's like, you, you don't even, I think she, like she had probably eight before she realised she had any. So um, <laughs> it, it is like, anyway, I'm glad she didn't stop at 12 because like, you know, of the living children that ended up, it, Nick was number 12 of the 13, number 14 of the 15 born. So it is, um, I'm glad she didn't stop, but you know, it's not happening unless you, uh, no. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, how many are glad you're not a pastor's kid? This is like the best thing. Um, you won't be ridiculed. So we, we grew up, uh, I grew up in um, Sydney, Australia. My husband grew up in Canberra, which is the capital um, of Australia. He's from an English-Irish background. I'm from a Greek background. So I don't know if you know anything about the differences. If you've, Anyone seen my big fat Greek wedding? Okay, that is my big fat Greek life, 100%. We've got Parthenon columns in my house that I grew up in, you know, concrete everywhere that we would water morning, noon and night. And, um, you know, 
were probably responsible for the environmental crisis, blame Greece, and not just the economic crisis, but that as well. So, you know, um, I grew up, I didn't speak English until I was um, five. So in our home, you know, and, and Nick is very sort of British type of demonstrative, which means, um, you know, we're in worship. And I'm like, get into it. He is, I am, my toes moving in my shoes. So, you know, it's like well, you've got every, that would be you lot. Anyway, so um, it makes for, for a fun a fun team, and then we've been living here for about 13 years now. Um, A21 has um, 19 offices in 16 countries around the world, so as the kids got older, uh, if you take a 14-hour commute out of your daily travel, it helps. It gives you a lot more hours in the day to be able to go to all the other offices. It's a miracle of God what has happened. It was um, in 2000 and about six or seven that I was going to speak at a women's conference in Thessaloniki, Greece, and um, I was so pumped I had just had my second child and um, I was 40 and so I had Catherine at 35, I had my second um, at 40. Can I just say, when you pop out a kid at 40, you are not looking to start any new ministry. I just want you to know that. Um, you want a purple heart and I was thinking I was going to have a vacation on Santorini. That's where I want you to know where my head was. People go, was it like really spiritual? Like, no. And so, but I was standing at baggage claim waiting for my bags to come. And, um, you know, Thessaloniki Airport at the time was just this tiny one baggage claim. And there were all of these missing posters of missing women and children. I mean, a disproportionate amount. I, I travel all the time. I'm like, why is there dozens of missing women and children? Of course, because I can read Greek. It was just like, I was just blown away. So I came out of the airport and I um, called my friend Chanel, who at the time was um, the deputy director for UNICEF in Copenhagen. I said, what on earth is going on? Anyway, it was then that I went on to find out these were the alleged victims of human trafficking. I didn't even know that it existed. I'm going, what do you mean human trafficking? I mean, we've had the Emancipation Proclamation Act. We've had the Freedom from Slavery Act. I mean, like, what, how could this even still be happening on the earth? And that's when I went on to find out that, you know, not, it's the fastest growing crime worldwide, faster than, you know, the selling of armaments or drugs is the selling of human beings, the only thing created in the image of God on the planet. And I thought, I didn't know what to do. Like most people are so overwhelmed, didn't even know it existed and kind of, you know, felt this prompting to start something um, and sort of had my conversation with God, but God, you know, I can't do, you start your list of, but, but God, you know, I can't do that. I, I'm 40, but God, you know, I've just had a baby, but God, you know, I live in Australia and that's like really far from Greece. And, you know, this was like in, I think about 2007, it was just before the economic crisis. Since then, Greece has bankrupted the planet, but this was just before 2008. And I'm so, I'm like, but God, you know, there's so much economic instability. There's so much corruption. And this is like, you know, Albanian mafia, they like kill people. And so it was kind of like, you know, I start my list of, but God, I can't, which is how most of us are. Um, it's like, but God, but God, but you know, there's kind of a biblical precedent for that. When the Lord came to Moses and said, I want to set my people free, <laughs> Moses is like, but Lord, I cannot speak. I'm not eloquent. And God's probably like, man, that was going to be the deal breaker on parting the Red Sea. I just like, I just, your, your ability, man, to, to be able to speak, that's whether I was going to do it or, and I'm like, you know, but God, I could sort of imagine God in heaven going, well, Peter, did you know Christine was 40? Did we miss her birthday? Did you know she just had a baby? Did we have a baby shower? Did you know like she was a woman? I mean, like, really? Did you? I mean, you know, it's just like we treat God like he doesn't know who he's called or, or what he's done. And um, it all sounds so pious and so humble, doesn't it? Like, but God, I'm just a worm. And, 
you know, I can't do this. And um, But the root of that is actually pride because what we're saying is that my limitations are greater than God's supernatural ability to want to do something in and through my life. So I just said yes, didn't even know what that would mean. But by the grace of God, um, all of these, you know, 14 years later, here we are with, you know, 19 officers, 16 countries, thousands of people rescued, hundreds of traffickers convicted and hundreds of millions of people literally made aware around the world and um, a simple yes to God. He's, he's always just looking, I think, even in 2022, just for a simple yes. Um, and you get a lot more done for the kingdom of God when you're just willing to say yes. And when you get to my age, it's just that, you know, God really runs out of options. So it's awesome because, you know, when I first started serving, like you're in your teenage years and someone's, you know, who wants to serve the Lord? Like you go to youth camps, there's like hundreds of people come forward, like here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go anywhere. And, you know, if you're a chick, you're like, God, I'll, I'll do anything. And I'm only going to marry, I'm going to marry the man of God, just like the, the elite, the one that you have for me. I am not going to compromise. I'm going to do that. You know, so it's like awesome. And then, you know, the Lord holds you to it. So 18, there's hundreds on that call and I'll go anything, I'll do anything. And then you get into your mid twenties and it's kind of young adult meetings. It's a bit like this church, you know, you like you come out and now there's not hundreds anymore. There's just like, there's a few dozen, but you're still down there and you're like, Lord, I'll go anywhere. Um, I'll do anything. And, you know, when you were in your teens, it was like, I want the one elite one you've got for me, like the lint chocolate. But you know, now now I'm in my mid-20s, I haven't gone on a date, and but so I'll take like just Hershey's, I'll just say as long as you know, as as long as is Christian, just Christian, Lord, Christian. You know, you sort of give God more options. Then, you know, I, I still wasn't married in my late 20s. I didn't get married till 30. So then you get to your late 20s and and there's an altar call like who's gonna give it all for Jesus? And um and, you know, by this stage, you go forward, there's like just a handful of you. Like, Lord, I'm still here. You know, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Just, just mail. Just mail. Like, you know, whatever. And it's kind of like you go through the whole stream. That's got nothing to do with anything. But I'm just saying that um, <laughs> you're just all in for God. I better get to my talk because you're all like so naughty that I'm having fun with you. And you'll be like, honestly, get a woman up there. She hasn't even turned to the Bible. So let's go to Hebrews. <laughs> We just dispel a couple of the myths, just put it out there in the atmosphere. It's how I like to work. So Hebrews chapter 2 is where we are. I'm so glad you're here today. There's just such a beautiful spirit in the house. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 2. Of course, the letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish to, to followers of Jesus that had converted from Judaism and became Jesus followers at a time when it was not cool to be a Jesus follower. I mean, the cost of following Jesus and converting from Judaism was that, you know, you basically lost any sort of privilege or rights and you were very often ostracised and marginalised from your family, from your peers. And, I mean, of course, living here in Santa Monica in this LA county and coming from Australia and, and coming from the motherland, you know, most of us for... Uh, we, we've already known a world in which there's no real social currency in being a Christian. But in a lot of America, particularly in the South, it was just kind of the thing that you did. And in fact, it opened doors for you. It was a little bit like, you know, you're in a country club and you have some opportunities that open up to you. But here, it was the exact 
opposite. I mean, you were being, you know, people were losing their houses, their, their jobs, they were losing any sort of status in society to be a Jesus follower. It's very much like being a Jesus follower in 2022. There's not that much social currency affiliated with doing that. In fact, it may cost you your job. It may cost you um, an invitation to Thanksgiving. It may certainly cost you gratifying all of the desires of your flesh. It's, it's a costly thing to follow Jesus. It's not for the faint-hearted. And so so what was happening because it was there was so much pressure the Jewish Christians were thinking, you know what, many of them were, were going back. It was just a lot easier to be under Judaism, to just follow the Torah, to just be under the law. It's just a whole lot easier than the cost that is involved in following Jesus. So the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who wrote this letter, but the writer to the Hebrews is writing to them. And what he's doing is reminding them why they became Jesus followers in the first place. And he starts in, in Hebrews chapter 1. And he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, the greatness of Christ. I mean, it's just a spectacular chapter. He's saying, what are you going to go back to? You know, Jesus is better than the Lord. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. And he's reminding them the fact that Jesus is better and better and greater. And if you go back, you're going back to the lesser. You're going back into bondage. What on earth do you want to go back to? And it's like a time where many of us as followers of Jesus have got to remember, hang on, what are we? in this thing for? Why did we all become Jesus followers? It's about Jesus. This is the whole reason. He is the beginning of this thing. He is the end of this thing. He is the only reason we're in this thing. He is who we are running towards. He is who we are running for. He is who we are staying steadfast for. So establishing the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, we now get to our text for this morning. <laughs> Therefore, I have to give you always a little bit of background because when you start with a therefore, you ask, what's it therefore? Gee, that sounded American. That was awesome. Therefore. You all said therefore. I'm going to need to teach you Australian. So everyone, we've got to go, awesome. Oh, you sound posh here. Okay, we'll do it one more time. Awesome. Okay, now say it like an American. Sailor. I'm just going to leave that there with you. <laughs> therefore. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So remember, he's established the supremacy of Christ. And he's saying, because Jesus is better than any counterfeit, than any, anything you came from, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying, okay, we're in really difficult times. It's not easy being a Jesus follower in these times. And he was writing that then. I think a lot of this is for us in 2022. It isn't necessarily the part, the part of the world we're in. It's not easy. In fact, right now on the earth, it's not easy anyway. It's not easy. But when things heat up, it is really, really important that we pay much closer attention lest we too drift away and neglect so great a salvation. 
You know, I grew up in a Greek home and, and my mum, if we came into a dangerous kind of situation and something that was pending danger, maybe crossing a busy road or, or something else, my mum would yell out to us, you know, Christina, perisoteros prosochin, that word in the Greek, the writer to the Hebrew is much closer, perisoteros prosochin, means much closer attention. My mum, I would know from the tone of her voice and I would know from the use of those words that this isn't, Chris, just pay attention. This isn't just like you're in class, pay attention. This is, oh, no, no, no. You better be on high alert. You better be on high alert because you're crossing the 405 at 3 p.m. This is like high, 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 high alert. There's an urgency in it. I feel it. And I would say the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church, going, our church, this would be a time to pay much closer attention. Not just pay attention. Not just go through the religious motions, but the th things are heating up on the earth and it hasn't eased up. And especially the last, we talk about the last two years, but I would almost go back to 2016 and go the last six years have been relentless. And just when we thought we would breathe, we just got our masks off and now there's a war. You go, okay, this is the world we're navigating and it doesn't seem like it's going away. So I need to be paying much closer attention lest we too drift and neglect. The words drift and neglect, I don't think are an accident that they're both in the text. My dad used to take us swimming to Umina Beach up the coast in, in New South Wales and we would go and there was a huge rip undertow undercurrent at Umina. And um, I always think, like, I don't know why our parents took us up there, whether there was a subliminal message, but they would take us up every year. I mean, people would drown because of the rip, and now the kids are going. But anyway, so they would take us up there, and my dad would always put, like, a, a beach umbrella on one side, and he put some beach towels on the other side. And he would say to us, kids, when you're out there swimming, I need you to regularly check that you're swimming between these two markers. Because you're not going to realise that you're going to be having so much fun it's going to be so awesome out there that you're not going to realise the undertow, you're not even going to feel it, but the current is so strong, it's going to take you out, whether you realise it or not. So check your markers regularly. And my dad would always say, kids, remember, all you have to do to drift is nothing. And it's like something we all have to remember. What, what, what do we do? All you have to do to drift from so great a salvation is to neglect. It's not what you do do as much as what you neglect to do, what you no longer do. And many of us have stopped checking our markers and the currents socially, morally, politically, environmentally, in every realm of life, economically, have shifted and are shifting so quickly. We can almost not keep our heads on straight. You just wake up today and go, what just shifted? It's like the currents are shifting and if we do not check our markers, we too will drift. Again, it's like anything in life. You know, if you want your health to drift, you don't even have to particularly take up any bad habit. Just stop, just neglect looking after your health. If you want your marriage to drift, you, you don't have to go and have an affair. Just don't pay any attention to your marriage. If you want your relationship with your friends to drift, you don't have to go and do something bad and gossip and slander about it. You just, just neglect that relationship and it will drift. If you're a chick and 
You want your eyebrows to drift? Just do nothing. Just do nothing. <laughs> Just check it if you're listening. But the fact is it's by doing nothing more often than not that we drift. We've had a lot in the last couple of years about people publicly drifting or deconstructing or walking away. That's just one aspect of it. Most people drift, not because of a proactive choice to go contrary or to take up behavior that's contrary to following Jesus, but it's just by neglecting to do the things that we need to do. Neglecting to pay attention to the right markers that we end up drifting. You know, the scripture says that Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews goes on in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, and says that Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. The only way not to drift is to be firmly anchored. What the last couple of years have revealed to all of us simply is whether we were anchored in Christ or not. Because if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it doesn't matter what has shifted in the world. He hasn't changed. He's still steadfast. All the promises of God are what? In Christ Jesus, yes and amen. So yes, we've had a pandemic. Yes, we've had so much instability. Yes, there's war on the earth, but all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus still to this day, yes and amen. The promise of God has not changed. The purpose of God has not changed. If anything has changed, if we've changed, if we've drifted, it's because we weren't firmly anchored in Christ. There's been a great unveiling and revealing. There has been, you know, there's a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there. There has been apocalypse of sorts that truly what that means is an unveiling. What's been unveiled and revealed more is the idols that we all had in our own life, where our hope really was anchored. You know, we had to evacuate our A21 office from Kiev, and it was tragic. It's been tragic to see um, our country director is a woman. We have many women and their children, they had to come to the border and I'm getting videos and FaceTime as they have to kiss their husbands and fathers goodbye because they can't leave Ukraine. And um, it's just tragic. And I'm watching them as they set up and we have a church in Warsaw that's been helping them and now they're back on the border helping to identify potential victims of trafficking because obviously during war, the most vulnerable and at risk particularly are women and children and there's so many displaced women and children right in this moment and so traffickers are running rampant. This is their moment. And so we are on the front lines and, and trying to help to the best that we can. And I'm watching this country director who kissed her husband goodbye and who knows if she'll ever see him again and has got her child safely set up in a home in Warsaw and back on the front lines, rescuing broken people. And I'm like, whoa, there's a woman that's teaching me a lot about where her hope is in the middle of a war, where her hope is in the midst of crisis. All the things that I thought were really important, maybe they really aren't. I've got to be able to look her in the eye and with conviction and integrity Say, I'm standing with you because I truly believe Jesus is this hope we have. And this could be literally a matter of life and death, certainly in this moment for your husband. And who knows in the next week where this is all going. So do we really believe this or not? 
So if Jesus is his hope we have as an anchor for our soul and somewhere along the line we have drifted because the last six or seven years with the racial riots and with the political instability and with just the divisiveness and chaos in our nation and just uh, the shifts morally and socially and environmentally and economically, it's like, whoa, the one thing that should actually be stable is the church. Because our anchor theoretically is Jesus, not culture or the shifting currents. So maybe if we have felt the drift, you know, when we um, go boating with Nick, he always checks the links on the chain that connect the anchor to the boat. And every now and again, as followers of Jesus, we need to maybe check the links on the chain, because without realizing it, some of the links have gone rusty. And so what happened is, as we sort of put the anchor down, it feels like it might not have held, not because Jesus doesn't hold, but because some of the things that were connecting us to him have either become rusty or were faulty, and our attachment wasn't right. And so this morning, we're just going to do a little bit of a spiritual checkup on the links in our chain, lest we also drift, because we want to pay much closer attention. See, church, I'm I'm one of those weird ones. I actually believe the church was born for this hour to be salt and light in the midst. I come alive during all of this. It's like, oh, Jesus holds. Uh, Nothing else does. As we've said, the one good thing that we've seen in the last six or seven years, this world does not deliver what it promised to deliver. And I think everyone has discovered that. I've never seen the world more open to the gospel than it is right now. An invisible virus shut the world down. Now they're finally ready to believe maybe an invisible God could actually open their hearts back up and see change and transformation. And so we were born for this moment unless we too are drifting. Because if we too are drifting, we're just going to drown out there with everybody else. So this is time to check. And here's the good news about our anchor. You know, our our anchor, it doesn't just go down into the seabed. It goes into eternity behind the veil. It is secure. It is secure. That's the eternal hope that we hang on to. And let me just say, our world needs hope for today, but boy, it needs it for tomorrow. And so what might be some signs? You go, okay, Chris, that's great. What might be some signs that I'm drifting? So for those of you that the right half of your brain needs points all in sequential order or you won't be able to swallow your lunch, I'm going to give them to you now and this is really going to help you um, do that. You're like, there's so many metaphors and image. I need, I need five points, Christine, or I won't be able to sleep. So here you go. Maybe... Maybe a a sign that you're drifting is if for you, a a blue check mark matters more than a heart checkup. It is easy, very quiet in this Presbyterian church over here. I'm going to go to this section over here. (laughs) So I don't know, that was was like a... but, But here's the deal. We're living in a world where everyone wants to be verified. Man, if I could just get that blue check mark, that's going to help my business, that's going to help my profession that's going to make people think that I'm important. And it's just, and you're all like, you can say that, Chris, because you've got a blue check mark. I didn't even know what it was, just so that you know. My daughter will testify. I'm the greatest embarrassment of a blue check mark of anyone she knows. It's like, seriously. But here is the deal. It never really mattered to me because I was, I don't need to be verified by man to feel like I'm valuable. I was validated by God at Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus shed his blood for me. See, when you understand, you've already been validated. For God so loved the world, he loved us all. 
that He gave His only begotten Son for us so that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. That is awesome. A blue check mark is so selective. God isn't. God says, you know what? I love you all. You're all in here. But we're living in a world so bizarre. And how do you get sucked in as the church? We get sucked in when we start to think, man, how many likes did I get? And we forget about the fact that we're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. When we're more obsessed with how many are following us than we are with how many are not following Jesus. And only you and the Lord can really assess that and me. And you go, I'm drifting when I'm forgetting what the purpose of all of this is. If this is truly to be salt and light, then that's one thing. But somewhere along the line, have I bought into the narrative of this world where I'm important if there's that blue check mark? And when was the last time I asked the Holy Spirit to do a heart check on me? To go deep. And when I look at this world and the condition of this world, I don't think people are asking the Holy Spirit too often about doing a heart checker. Because Jesus said, let, let, me, let me sum up 613 Old Testament mosaic laws for you. I'm going to make it simple because you all need simplicity. So here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And second commandment, just like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. When I look at what's happening in the world, I'm like, whoa. It does look like we are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. We just don't really like ourselves. That is evident. And we do love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. We just love him with all of our broken heart and all of our wounded soul and all of our tormented mind. So we're seeing him through that lens, which reflects how we see ourselves, which then reflects how we see other people. And then we have social media. Wow. Which is most people's reality, unfortunately. But it is. And it's spiritually forming an entire generation, both within the church and in the world. And so we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up somewhere and go, wow, wow, what really matters to me? When I get that kind of validation, when I feel verified by that, does that mean more to me than me being conformed and transformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Which is actually what I'm on the earth for. Potentially you might know that you've drifted. If, you know, if, if, if you begin to... <laughs> and prefer to talk to others before you pray to God. It's fascinating to me in a very therapeutic culture, put it all out there. Um, again, it just got very quiet. I'm going to go back. This is, this is the holy section over here. It's obviously the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit's falling over here. So I don't know what you've been doing, but that's it. I'm going to go over here. But the point is that, you know, we, we just have this culture of just putting, I, I think we've just converted reality TV to like this reality parody out there and we just put it all out there. And I'm like, when was the last time you talked to God about this? I, I actually think based on what you're saying, you probably haven't. And I'm so into therapy and I'm so into counselling, but I do want to remind us that we do have a wonderful capital C counsellor. And I'm beginning to wonder, is anybody in the church going to the wonderful counsellor for counsel? And I, I think 
there'd be more evidence of it if more of us actually really believed in the power of prayer. But we want to take things into our own hands because we don't think God moves fast enough or we don't really, we are actually functional atheists, but we sit in church. We don't really believe that God listens to our prayers or we do a lot more of it. We, We don't really believe that God is intricately interested in the affairs of our lives. We don't really pray with faith with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine because we don't really think God can make a difference. We don't really pray for something to happen in our relationships because we really don't believe that God can make a difference. And then we'll come across scriptures like pray without ceasing or be anxious for nothing, but with everything in prayer, supplication and thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. But we think, "Mm, not really, not in 2022. Not in 2022. That really, it's not what God meant. Or, you know, we just think, well, he's really kind of an imaginary friend and prayer is just like so, 20th century. We have technology now. We, we have science. We, we, we're just way more evolved. And so, like, what this prayer is for desperate people. And I'm like, yes, that would be me. I'm desperate. Greatest gift I think that the Lord could give his church in this hour is the gift of desperation. And I'm just desperate. I'm not too cool for school. People go, man, all of these opportunities that open, Christine, with A21 and what you're doing with Propel in your life. And I'm like, yes, because we pray. That's the Bible. I've got people here from my team that will tell you, we pray and we believe. I don't know. I don't know if it, it, I can't put it in a mathematical formula for you. I can't put it in a test tube. But there is a correlation between us praying and God moving. So I don't know how that works, but it works. So I wonder whether in this era where whether we've just gone with the flow that we feel like, man, if I could just put it out there and we're hoping for someone to do what? Especially when it's on socials and it's people you don't even know. Like, well, what is it that we think they're going to do? You cannot get from people what you can only get from God. And many of us are living anxious and disappointed because we're trying to get from people what we can only get from God. People make a really poor God. And then we get angry and we turn on them when they can't be God. And we just make things worse and worse and worse. So maybe it's a sign that we've drifted. Another sign that we've drifted maybe when my will becomes more important than God's will. And certainly we live in a a spiritual time. We live in a time on the earth where, man, the current is all about you. You go to the... For, for those that still know what a, a bookstore is that's not online, is um, you go to the whole section and, you know, you, the self-help, it's self-everything, self-actualization, self-help, self-realization, self, 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 self. It is bizarre to me how we think ourselves are going to answer anything. Ourselves got ourselves into this mess. I'm like, y'all, this is not rocket science. This is not rocket science. But there will come a time, remember Jesus in Gethsemane, he's on his knees saying, Father, I really don't want to do this. In biblical language, he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Is there a plan B? Is there another way? And then he said the words that are so missing from the Western church. 
nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. I don't know when was the last time you were ever like on your knees going, God, everything in my flesh and hormones and life would love to jump into bed with that person that's not my spouse, but nevertheless, not denying what we feel, not diminishing what we feel, not suppressing what we feel, but submitting it to Jesus and going, but nevertheless, nevertheless is missing. Oh, I'd love to go and do that particular thing that I know is contrary to what your word says. Everything in me wants to do it, but nevertheless. Do you know what a testimony that is to our world? But nevertheless, it's not like going, oh, no, that's no fun. You're a liar. Of course it's fun. But nevertheless, but nevertheless, and somewhere we've lost the but nevertheless because of the self-gratification that we live in. You know, they're going to dig up some sort of time capsule in the future with what was the most famous phrase in the 21st century? No, they won't, you know, they'll have to get someone to interpret it, but it'll be like, you do you boo. (laughs) And they'll be like, wow. Like everywhere I go, there is a version of like, you do you, boo. I'm like, let me give you a biblical precedent for that. In the book of Judges, it says everyone went and did what was right in their own. How did that turn out for them? I feel like saying that to the planet. Uh, It's never gone well. It's never gone well. So I wonder if I'm drifting, if I'm starting to justify what is overtly overtly contrary to the ways of Jesus, but I'm saying, well, Jesus would just want me to be happy. Jesus' highest goal for my life is my highest self-actualization. And that being interpreted, doing whatever I want to do, not me submitting to Jesus. And yet the call to discipleship has never changed. (laughs) Jesus says, if any person wants to follow me, this is it. It's really easy, ABC. They must deny your Self. Jesus, do you mean that in 2022? Surely you don't mean that in 2022. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's it. Discipleship 101. Don't even need a 10-week course. It's just that none of us want to do it. It hasn't changed. Even in an era that so celebrates, now of course this is not the first time in history, so celebrates not denying yourself. (laughs) Go for it. But it's never worked well. It's never worked well historically in society ever for just do whatever you want to do. So maybe another sign that we've drifted is when you, you know, perhaps find yourself caring about everybody else's business more than you're caring about the Father's business. You know, Chris, what do you mean by that? It is amazing to me how much of our life we spend scrolling, swiping. We're not even living the life that God put us here to live because we couldn't possibly be doing that because of the amount of time that we spend commenting on everyone else's life. It is, everyone's got an opinion about everything. I'm thinking like, when are you living your life? How do you actually have time to know so much about everybody else? You're obviously not living the life that God put you on this earth to live. And on Judgment Day, when you don't have to give an account for anybody else's life, what are you going to do with all that opinion you have? 
I'm still wondering, when, when Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to account for your life, the one that I called you to live, and you're like, but Jesus, I can give you the TMZ update on everybody. Oh, I'm so good at it. I've got the church update. And God's like, wow, this is a very short meeting. Because I'll take that up with those people. It was never any of your business. You know when Mary, do you remember when Jesus was 12 and Mary lost God for three days? You know, like, and again, I say this is a gift to every mother in the room because all of us, like I remember one day we were like, um, I was speaking at another church on Wilshire, so they had taken us like to the Beverly Centre to do some shopping and Catherine was uh, just like a month old. Oh, and no, you were no, two months old because at six weeks we brought her over. So she was two months old. I wasn't used to, I was like in my late 30s. I was, was not used to having a baby and to think that I had one with me. And so there was these bright lights and I went to buy Nick a shirt. So I put the stroller under like a rack of shirts so that the lights wouldn't get into her eyes. Anyway, I got so excited about the shirts that I bought for Nick that I went out with the bags and not the stroller to... <laughs> in the middle of the Beverly Center. And, I, and, and like I go, Nick, look what I bought you. I'll never forget his face. He turned around like so loud. He yells, Christine, where's the baby? <laughs> and, um, you know, so I ran back in and got her. Obviously, she survived. And so <laughs> I will be paying her therapy bills for the next 30 years. But, you know, but here is the deal. That the Lord put that other scripture in the Bible for me and for all the other mothers that have done, you know, forgot to pick up your kid from school or whatever. Because here we are awesome. Because like Mary lost God for three days. I did not lose my kid for three days. And so it lets every mother off the hook in all of the world. So anyway, but when she turns, she turns up and she goes to um, Jesus. He's 12. Now remember, these are the first words of Jesus we see in the scripture. First words. And she says, you know, why, why, why? Where have you been? And I've told my kids to never answer me like Jesus answered their mother. <laughs> never. It will not go well with you. He's like, woman. I'm like, do not try this at home. Do not try this at home. <laughs> but he's like, you know, um, woman, you know, why were you looking for me? And here's his first words. Do you not? No, I must be about the Father's business. I feel like reminding the whole church with the first words of Jesus, hey, do you not know we must be about the Father's business? All this gossip, all this slander. I don't know. Do we think that God doesn't read our posts? <laughs> I, I'm sitting there. Everyone will be judged for every idle word and idle tweet is I feel like saying to everyone. I'm like, has everyone lost the plot here? We're just so caught up. Again, just drifting. And man, you rationalise it, especially the last six years. Oh, we're just speaking truth to power. We're just doing this. We're just doing this. We're just... And before you know it, you're into gossip and you're into slander. All the things when Scripture says, don't get caught up in foolish debates. I'm like, you're anyone reading the Bible right now? Or we're we just reading each other's posts? Because we need to be about the Father's business because the hour is urgent. This is not a time for our oil lamps to be empty, church. We must be about the Father's business. And the enemy through distractions and other attractions is just taking us off course. You know, you, you know that um, maybe you're drifting when you start comparing and competing rather than celebrating. 
each other. We are one body, many parts. Paul writes in Corinthians that God sets every member in place. And it's so amazing to me how we really don't have a revelation of that and we think we're competing against each other rather than complementing one another, rather than being part of the body of which there is only one head. His name is Jesus. We ought to thank God that we're any part of the body. If we're the smallest toenail, thank you, God, that I'm even in. Thank you, God, that I'm even part of this. We know we've lost all perspective when we just want to be the main part or no part. Something's really wrong when we no longer understand, oh, I'm not here to compete. I'm not here to compare. I want to celebrate you running your race. I want to cheer you on as you finish your course. And the writer to the Hebrew says, oh, you better make sure you do that even more as the hour appears because the currents are shifting. Things are heating up. Maybe, you know, you're drifting when you start isolating and you stop gathering. He writes in Hebrews 10.35, do not forsake the gathering as is the habit of some. And it literally cost them their lives at this time together, literally. But apparently there was benefit in gathering that was worth risking the literal loss of your life to the writer to the Hebrews. So maybe you know you're drifting if we stop gathering and it's not because of a medical reason, it's just we've gotten out of the habit the last couple of years. And then we think, okay, it just got even more quiet over here. I'm just going, you're here. I'm obviously not talking to you. You're here. I'm just not looking at the camera online. Okay, so. <laughs> but you just got to ask yourself honestly, have I just gotten out of the habit? Or is there a, obviously a justifiable reason? So maybe you also know that you've drifted when, you know, you prefer... Christian celebrities to Christian martyrs. See, when I was schooled and coming through and being developed for life and ministry, we didn't even know there were Christian celebrities. Then we're in Australia. We didn't even have Christian TV. We've got one Christian bookshop in the whole country for 20 million people, which I was so heathen I didn't even know that it existed. So that, you know, there was not even that. There was no Christian subculture. There was no Christian industry. And we had four channels, ABC, 7, 10, and 9. That's it, man. You weren't getting anything. There was no cable. There was no internet. There was no social media. So you had to know God. And in fact, when you got saved, it was not cool in Australia. Nobody was like, awesome. My family didn't speak to me for three years. I wasn't allowed to take meals with them. It cost everything to follow Jesus. I didn't know there was a celebrity industry. Wannabe because you're like in the real celebrity world here, so you must scoff at the Christian celebrity industry. I don't blame you. It's like wannabe, whatever, famous, whatever that is. But what we, we, we were schooled on, man, we were schooled on martyrs. Hebrews 11, people all over the world that to this day are giving their life for the sake of the gospel. That's what we came forward for in altar call. We're like, here I am, Lord, send me. But nowadays, man, if there's nothing in it for me, why would I do it? <laughs> Unless this is going to be a leverage to something better. Maybe we've drifted. If we think we're above the very thing that we exist for, which is to serve others. That is, you've arrived. Let me end and the band better come or I'll be talking to the second coming. And so the, <laughs> the thing is that 
you know, I don't know how much higher you think you can get. It's hard when we're in this part of the world. I live in Orange County. You live here in Santa. I'm behind the Orange Curtain. Did you know that? So that's, uh, you know, I came through that 405. Boom, it shifted. I just, superpowers came upon me. So between where you all are and where I am, this is the reality. You know, too much is given, much is required. But here is the deal, that um, if you know who you are in Christ, you can't get any higher. I mean, positionally, you and I are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So if you're already seated in heavenly places positionally with Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father, please help me to know how much higher you can get. So there is only one place you can go from there, and that's down into a lost and a broken world to access the resources of heaven, to bring heaven to earth for a lost and a broken humanity. It's what we're here for. So then we don't have to strive and compete, try to make it anywhere. We've already made it. We're there. Already and not yet, but we're there. Once you get that revelation, it changes everything. You get out of the, the narrative of this world of striving and competing and you're just like resting. That's why the writer to the Hebrew says, labour to enter this place of rest. So then when you labour from rest, changes everything. Changes everything. You walk through this world with such peace. Such joy, even in the midst of the turmoil that we're in now. You don't deny reality. You don't deny pain or suffering. And you know you can't avoid it. But you've got peace in it. And that is possibly the greatest testimony to a lost and a broken world in this hour. So maybe you've drifted if you've lost that peace, that joy. Because that's ultimately the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God is righteousness Peace and joy where in the Holy Ghost. I mean, what I'm talking about this morning is Christianity 101. But it's the only thing that's going to get us through. It's the only way I can still sleep at night when I read the reports that come across my desk about the evil and atrocities of human trafficking around the world. When I have to look at my country directors in the eye knowing that they may or may not see their spouses tonight. I have to believe this thing is true. And here's the deal I do. Not because I'm awesome, but because I'm attached to Jesus, who is this hope we have. It's Him. It always was Him. Nothing else is going to deliver. Nothing. Look at the last few years on the earth. Jesus is this hope we have. As an anchor, for our soul, we can stay anchored in these turbulent days. We can navigate the future, not because we're awesome, but because He is secure. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He holds. So I wonder today whether you're still anchored in Christ. Or perhaps somewhere did you drift? Drift. Not because you set out, oh, I'm going to drift. But you were just out there. And the currents, you go, whoa, I forgot to check my markers. I forgot to check my markers and I'm out to sea. I want to invite you this morning 
I want to invite you to come back home. You go, but Chris, you don't know how far I've drifted and you don't know what I've done and you're absolutely right. I've got no clue what you've done and it really doesn't matter to me what you've done because I know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And my Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the good news. You, you don't actually have the power to outdrift the grace of God or to outdrift the mercy of God. Thank God. We never had anything to do with this in the first place. <laughs> Takes all the pressure off to come back home to Jesus. Let him. Let him bring you in. Because wherever you are, there he is. <laughs> He's never left you nor forsaken you. Even if you've tried to outdrift him. But now would be a really good time on the earth to come home to Jesus. Perhaps a friend invited you into this place and this is a first time maybe you've even been in a meeting like this. You were not even sure what you were coming to. They lied. They said, let's go to a nightclub. You're like, yes. <laughs> but you're here in the divine timing, the divine plan and the divine purpose of God. You're not here by accident. You were created by God for a relationship with God. It's Jesus that connects us to God. And it's Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. And this morning, I just want to invite you to make your peace with God. Some of you for the very, very first time. Only Jesus Christ, friend, can give us forgiveness for our sins. A fresh start today here on planet Earth. And an eternal hope for the future. Maybe some of you have drifted from that. And this morning you need to be realigned and reset with Jesus at the centre. I just want every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, just in this moment. And if you say to me right now, you know what, Chris, I want what you're talking about in this moment. I, I, I want a fresh start with Jesus Christ, either for the very first time or I know that I've been away from God cold in my heart. And as you've been speaking this morning, Chris, I... I realise I've drifted and I, I want to come home. I just want to pray for you, a very simple but powerful prayer right where you're sitting. And if you want to be included in that prayer and say, yeah, I, I need a fresh start with Jesus this morning, would you just raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying for? I'm seeing hands literally go up everywhere, right to the very top balcony. I see you right to the back wall here. That's fantastic. You can put your hands down. Father, you see all of these hands, Father, I thank you that every one of these people is so precious, so precious to you. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, whether this is the very first time or people have just been away from you and this morning, Holy Spirit, you have just awakened them to the fact that it's, it's just time to come home and to stop drifting, to pay attention. Lord, that this would truly be a, a defining moment literally for the rest of their lives, I pray. Father, that each and every person would know what it is to, to know fully what it is to have forgiveness for their sins. A fresh start this morning, the 13th of March, 2022. And a hope for the future. And Father, they would stay anchored in You and their hope would be anchored in You every day from this day forward, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless your church. Thank you so much.